Hello. All right, Johnny. Nice to see you. We're back for Book Club. We are. It's the first time I've seen you in the flesh quite a while. Yes, and what an arduous journey it was in. We don't like travelling in, do we? Well, as we were saying, the commercial re uh, office market must be struggling because it's just such a pain to There's no one in this building. No, it's empty. If you want, if you want to get an office, come to Regis Leeds. What? I reckon no. you can strike a deal. If you looked at how much it's cost to rent this room yeah. for the day, and then you timesed it by 20 days a month. Yeah, it's grand a month. Half the, it's a third of what our rent was pre-pandemic. Mad. So Book Club, Johnny, why, why did we ha have a hiatus? Uh, we had a hiatus with Book Club because we got bored with reading shit books. And we felt, I felt like we'd read all the good ones. Yes. We felt like we'd run out of content to talk about. And we felt that our boredom with some of the books was rubbing off in the content. Very much so. So we've had a break. We're refreshed. Yeah. Book refreshed. Yeah, we are. Uh, we're, we're, we're back and we're ready. Today we are talking about... Selling in a Crisis by Jeb Blunt. Yes. Salesgravy.com. Uh, quick pricey. Quick pricey. It's a general mindset of stuff you should do if the market's tough, I think. Perfect. I tell you what it is. It's a, and I put this on LinkedIn. It's Tom Hopkins, How to Master the Art of Selling for 2023. And what do we think of it? Very average. See what I think about it. <laughs> Bang average. See what I think about it. It's garbage, but all the points are right. I think if you're reading this book and you don't already know that, you've got a green sticker on your LinkedIn profile. I'd be disappointed if I'd used the day of a holiday reading it. Yeah. But is everything in the book right? Yeah, 100%. It's funny because we might... Let's do our marks out of 10 now. Okay. So for me, it's a 7. Okay. I've not enjoyed it. I wouldn't recommend it, but it gets 7 out of 10. Why? Because everything he says is bang right. Everything he says is right. For me, it's a 5. Because on the one hand, I thought it was just rubbish. But on the other hand, you can't dispute the fact that everything he says is right. Correct. And actually, if you're not adhering to the shit that's in this book, you've, you've got probably a, got a green sticker on your LinkedIn. 100% you have, yeah. 100% you have. So, you've got a point here. It says, during the good times, the failure to honour the fundamentals is masked by the booming economy. Undisciplined, lazy sales reps float along with the current... It's happened to the case, isn't it? I said this to one of my clients. She might be listening to this, I guess. She said, why is nobody under 30 any good, Mike? And I said, because the IT market's been so good for so long. They've had it very, very good, haven't they? Yeah. He also says, similar quote, he says, page 116, he says, everyone's a genius in a bull market. Yeah, they are. They are. And it's really interesting. We're seeing this. Uh, we, I think, like you've said, you've had the clients saying, why are all these sub-30 guys? Because It's a sweeping statement. If you're 26 and watching it, then and you're good. You know, don't take yeah. offence, but, you know, it's on an, an on-average statement. I think the word here is discipline. I agree, yeah. I um, agree. And you don't... For, you know, you and I started in a world where there were no computers on the desks. You had paper cards. You wrote things in a book. It was, The whole thing was an exercise in discipline. Yes, whereas now the IT, with the outreach sequence, it just you can't forget anything. It does it for you. Yes. It takes away the necessity to be disciplined because the yes. IC workflow replaces that discipline. So automation takes discipline away. I remember you, you, you and I used to have these printed spreadsheets with the name of a prospect and you'd have January... I remember doing that, showing it to Pete Ingram and he was like, wow, oh my God. June, July. And you'd, you'd colour in meticulously 
And it was all tattered whether, because I had it for so long. Whether you'd made contact with that contact that month. Yeah. Because that was the discipline of knowing, well, there are a hundred and something companies in my patch. Yes. Whereas that discipline now, I, I think the digitization of everything has created ill discipline. I agree. And it's and, and, and it's it's in lots of little bits, isn't it? You know, like, I, I still write a day book, but do I? In the old days, I had a paper diary that was 365 days. So if I got yep. a good call back with Bill Smith at Microsoft, 26th April, I put it in my paper diary. Yeah. And there was just there's something about analog marking. And if play. you didn't write it in your paper diary, that call didn't get done. Didn't exist. That callback didn't exist. The the of picking up your pen and going to July twenty twenty three. Yeah, yeah. And writing in your diary, so and so, so and so question mark. Well, it's interesting, isn't it? Because there's this company called Gong. I don't know if you've heard about Gong and the way that right. they analyze sales calls. Basically, they I've never looked at them, never recruited for them, but somebody was telling me about it. And basically, what they do is they will uh, it records the call, it will analyze the call. And then it will produce a report saying you spent five minutes on general chit chat, you asked 19 closed questions, and give you an analysis. Now, I was talking to the guy about it, and he's an older guy, he's in his 50s. And he said, I'm kicking myself because I asked four closed questions. Whereas I think because of when he grew up, that basic discipline about that was really important. And he will be a meticulously well organized, disciplined guy who's had a really lengthy sales career through four recessions. Whereas now we're getting into a, a market where you've got people who have been geniuses in a bull market because they worked for NetSuite five years ago. Well, now, I, now, I never worked for NetSuite, but how hard is it to work at NetSuite five years ago and sell stuff? Well, I've been hard. So what is the discipline? What are the disciplines of a salesperson? Do you know, for what me, I think one of, the, one of the fundamentals is being organised. Right. I love Stephen uh, Covey's Seven Habits. And then we all make... Um, moral commitments to ourselves to do certain things yes and it's keeping those moral commitments isn't it i remember you're into golf i used to be i'm not anymore i remember reading this thing by colin montgomery who said he would always hole a hundred six foot puts on the putting green at the end of every practice session and if he got to 99 and missed the hundredth he would start again now actually a lot of the players would i'm sure would have gone yeah i'll do that got to 98 missed it and thought yeah my phone that's well, why, why Monty won, won some big conference. Well, it was... You, you, Did he win a major? No, I never won one, but it was ranked European Order of Merit, whatever it's called now, for like 20 years. But it's those bits of discipline, isn't it? And it's the discipline about... Oh, so, so I have a five-bar gate in my, my diary, and it's the discipline about finishing your day on 10 decision-makers, not nine. More, he, he talks about it later on the book, one more call. Yeah, but it's that discipline, isn't it, of saying, that is what I'm going to do. And it's a discipline of... Planning your day out the the at uh, the end of the day for tomorrow. I spoke to a CEO of a company yesterday, and he said, "Do you know, Johnny? I spent nearly half of yesterday planning. Yesterday being Sunday, half of Sunday planning my week, and it's already gone to shit." <laughs> I said, "Funny, because I I usually spend Sunday mornings planning my week. Mine always goes to shit. No plan survives contact with the enemy." And he said, "Yeah, but if you don't have a plan, correct, correct, and it's that discipline of he got up on Sunday morning and he made a plan." Yes, I agree. So getting back to Jeb's point, he's right. Yeah, bang on. So what do you make of chapter 27, Pricey? I love chapter 27. And what he's talking about here is about, um, he says, you cannot manage time. Um, and he says, time discipline is a simple choice between what you want now and what you want most, which is why having clear goals and knowing what you want is so important. 
And I think, and he's talking here, he says, plan your day, block your calendar, remove distractions, and stick, you, and stick to your guns when others try to corrupt, interrupt, or usurp your time for their use. I think this is really important. We once read a book by a guy called Nir Eyal called Indistractable. And what he was talking about was talking about creating time blocks. Now, currently, you know, as we film this on the 24th of January, let's be clear, the market's not as good as it was. So actually, one of the highest priority things we can do as recruiters right now is get in the face of new prospects. But canvassing out new prospects is a difficult thing to do. I don't mind it, actually. And actually, sometimes if one of my old mates that I've known for 20 years phones me on my phone, I think, oh, it'd be easy to talk to you for half an hour. But then if I talk to him for half an hour, I've missed five decision-making calls. And I think what Jeb's talking about here is blocking out your time in accordance with the goals that you have for that day and sticking to it and not letting anybody break it. Not letting Mrs. P walk up with a cup of tea and a biscuit and talk to you for 10 minutes. That's when you get to the end of the day and actually all those little pieces of you taking time and sticking to your goals, if you do that five days a week, four weeks eight, four weeks a month, 12 weeks a quarter, you'll get to the end of the quarter and you'll be more successful. And what's interesting is sometimes I'll send like a message on LinkedIn and people just reply instantly. And I'm thinking, why are you replying to me instantly? They're so disrespectful. You should be selling some stuff to some people. I'm just some recruiter that sent you a message. Why are you replying to that? And I think Jeb's got that absolute bang right. Right, Johnny. So um, Jeb talks about one of the hatred things that I have of my 14-year-old daughter. Doom scrolling. Please tell me about that. So he, he talks about the... Yeah, page 31 in the book, he talks about doom scrolling. And I, I see this a lot. You see it when you're in a cafe. You know, I've been to get a little flat white before we started today. People in the lift on the phone. Yeah, people are in the lift on the phone. People are waiting for a coffee. The mobile phone companies, the social media companies, the software companies, they have built technology by design to be as addictive as heroin. They have it's more addictive than that, I think. And because it's socially acceptable for it to be addictive. Yeah, no, correct. And what he talks about is he, the phrase he uses it is excessive online news consumption in particular. He says you can very easily sit there on your phone, and I see this. People think they're consuming in inverted commas news. They think they're being productive. They think they're finding their own news. One, they think they're finding their own news. They're not. They're being told what the news agenda is depending on which shit news outlet they're looking at at any given point in time. Secondly, it's not news. Instagram is not news. Facebook is not news. LinkedIn isn't. Twitter is not news. LinkedIn is not news. Sky News is not news. Uh, the Times is not news. These are no longer news. Outlets. Do you think that at some point somebody's going to create a relationship or a correlation between um, your brain getting more stupid the more you scroll through your phone on TikTok. Yes. yes, I believe that in the fullness of time, what we will see, you'll be able to very clearly see a curve of intellectual decline. So there's a couple of things here, and this is the point Jed's making in the book. He's saying you're you're having a break you're thinking oh I've earned a break I'm just going to stop I've lost my concentration you do five minutes of doom scrolling the news is miserable it's shit now you and I Mike we've been through a recession we've, this is my third one 
Um, I know one of the first things you've got to do when times get bad is stop reading bad news. Stop reading the news. I've stopped. It's just bad. You've got to take in information, but you mustn't watch the news. The news is deliberately hysterical. It will make you feel lesser about yourself. But worse than that is it makes people fucking stupid. Do you know, my, my daughter, she's really bright, honey. Um, you can definitely tell a difference in her mood when she's been on her phone. Yep. Straight away. Changes them. The dopamine, it changes your chemical setup of your mind. There's a reason why I'm, I've got a, an Apple Watch Ultra. It's because I can leave my phone at home at the weekends. I can go a whole weekend now without my phone. And that, for me, is from a mental health productivity perspective. If I'm If I'm bored, I have to sit and look at the world. And the thing is, if you're more productive, I reckon you might sell more. And also... It's all right to be bored. Yep. It's all right to sit waiting for... For a bus a, without looking at your phone. And look at the world. And just watch the cars go by. That's all right, that. You're relaxing your brain. Yeah. One of the things I, I really like here in the book, Mike, is Jeb talks... He, 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 I think there's one of the chapters early on where he talks about investing yourself. What do you think? Come on, what do you... What, I, I, I know what I think of that, and I wholly agree. What do you think of... If somebody said to you... He says, invest in your mind, your body, and your spirit. Because what were we talking about off camera a minute ago? So we were talking about... So we talked about exercise, actually. Yeah. Fitness, strength, exercise. You know, is is fitness a good thing for a salesperson? Yeah, I think it is. Zig Ziglar would say, don't be too pooped to pop. Can't be too pooped to pop. I think you need to be... Because sales is tiring, isn't it? It's a tiring thing to do. It's 10 hours. It's battling with people and just working hard and running about. And you get, you know, you do get quite busy. I think for us, for, number one is invest in your own personal health. Health. Mental health and physical health. Yeah, I mean, I, I kind of get a bit, I, I get a bit bummed out listening to all these people bleating on about mental health on LinkedIn. But actually, you've got to invest in your mental health. You have. And, and you've got to invest. It's no good just saying, well, my mental health, it's investing in your mental health, it's not talking about it on LinkedIn. It's actually getting up for your arse in the morning and meditating. Correct. It's getting out and turning your phone off. The next thing about investing in yourself is how many of the people that we speak to do you think have paid for their own sales training? Not paid for because they worked at a company, but actually spending money on it. Very few. Like I can name them, it's so few. Very few. Well, there's a couple of things involved, isn't there, with, with, with that investment. One. Well, is it is an investment. 500 quid for the Sandler training. That's what it is. 500 pounds. It's not old. Yeah. Why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you? Well, I'd, I'd invest in it. I'd buy the Sandler training. And then I'd try and put an expenses claim in. Well, if you get... And if my boss says to me, sorry, mate, no expenses claim for that. I'll say, no problem. I know where I sit with you, mate. There's that, but but you know, if you do 120% target and put the expenses claim at the end of the year, is your boss going to sign that off? Yep. Plenty will. Loads. And those that don't, those that don't can, can, can do one. And does it matter anyway? 500 quid. Because I think what. Well, LinkedIn learning's 200 pounds a year. You won't believe some of the shit. It's amazing. I'm learning astrology on it at the moment, actually. What, on LinkedIn learning? Yeah. Amazing. Just, just as a side, just as a side thing, because your brain needs other things yes. to learn about. M Mike, in my dad, every day, I tick off things. Your brain just needs other stuff. One of them is I have to do lunch, look, 
music, meditate, Duolingo, decision makers, exercise, golf, learning. Learning is really important. I just have to spend half an hour a day just learning something else. And what if you then created this machine? So let's say Honey Price is going to be a sales rep, which she's going to be a sales rep. She's reading The Seven Habits of Highly Successful Teens at the minute. She's... Uh, Isabel Graham has read it. There you go. She's physically very fit. She's going to be yeah. the youngest third Dan in Yorkshire. Right. She goes to the gym three times a week. Right. She's super organised and she gets it. So let's say when by the time she gets to 21, she's, she's fit and healthy. Because she's fit and healthy, she'll be mentally okay, other than I'm a dad, so I give her a lot of grief. Yeah. Then she'll have the, the, the platform for she's organised. What will she be like as a sales animal to build upon? They're just amazing foundations, aren't they? Yes. Whereas actually what really happens in nine-tenths of the of, of the people we speak to is they turn up to work at half past seven, they leave at half past six. They didn't invest in themselves. They just did a job and tried to learn on the job. Well, I don't know. I, I, th- I, I actually think I'd love to take a survey of this, of what time people show up at their desks in this world of homeworking. working. <laughs> Uh, well, it'd be interesting. Well, I don't know the answer. I don't know the answer. You turn up to work at half seven. I turn up to work at half seven. Yeah. I think a lot of people turn up to work at night. You reckon in just those extra two hours they've saved? They sleep thing. more. They take. They invest in their mental health in bed. <laughs> Quite possibly. But it's that investment. You know, th- that whole, oh, I can't afford a gym membership. It's expensive. I wrote here. It's 13 quid a month. One, it's 13 quid a month. The Two is an unbranded TRX trainer and a kettlebell would cost you 50 quid. What about a pair of trainers from Asda? I bet they're a tenner. That's it. That's actually all you need. That's the investment. You don't need a pair oh, of... Oh, the table stakes prices. You don't You don't need a 150 quid pair of Asics and a two grand bike. Don't get me wrong, I've got a ridiculous setup. Well, I cycle to work because I've got a nice bike. But yeah. you don't need that. You I could have cycled to work on a 50 quid bike off eBay. They'd have done me as much good. You'd be just as fit. Exactly. And and that whole investment in your mind, your body, you, it's those little things where it's like, have you got a nice pen? Have you... Do you respect yourself, that's about? Just interested on the training. Well, well, I, I look at something that's a pet peeve for me, something that's a pet peeve for me, is I look at people in video meetings and I think, what are you wearing? This is what I wear on my video meetings. This is what I wear on my video meetings. You wait to you wait to see my new home office. I've changed it. Have you? Yeah, it's cool. But you know what? I changed it. I changed it. It cost me forty pounds. You'll see it when we meet on Wednesday, and you'll go, "Yeah, that looks cool." In the old days, people bought a suit. We don't know. We just wear the same stuff that we wear. People bought the suit and yeah, went to and they went to office. And you invested in a suit. It was an investment because it was how you felt about yourself, how you felt about your work, how you felt about what you do. You invested, you bought a suit, you walked into town, you spent... I remember once spending, he shot 400 quid on a pair of shoes, which I had laser engraved with the company logo. Remember that, yeah? Remember. On the on the back heel. And you think I'm mental, but that's not... That's a mindset thing about investing in your work and investing. Now I look at the people online and I meet candidates and I think, you scruffy fucker. That's why you're meeting them. That's why they're looking for a job. Yeah. You don't meet because when you meet the clients, you think you're 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 a top person. They're hiring, and it's just lots of small home offices. You look at people's home offices and they're set up, and you think that's messy. Yeah. Whereas you look at some clients and you think, do you know, during the pa- uh, pandemic, I met a guy called Gareth Ainsworth from ANS. Yeah. 
top guy, and the ANS logo, um, he had it behind him. Now, it hadn't been printed. And I said to him, just tell me about that, would you? I need a lovely guy. I hope he's listening to, to, the, to the podcast. I don't think he is because he's got a bit of time off at the minute. But he said, do you know what? I did it myself. He said, I know it looks a bit shit and not as good as the, not as good as the one that was printed. He said, but I still want to say it was a blank wall. So I put the company logo behind me. And he, and he put it on the wall himself with paint. And I tell you what, we look pretty good. And the little things, it's the little things, people have got, you, 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 something that's a pet peeve of mine, again, with, with this topic of investing in yourself as a sales professional, you get given your standard issue ThinkPad or HP shit book, and on it is a 720p webcam, and then you do meetings with clients where somebody looks like they've covered your face in Vaseline. Oh, it's good though, because at least it's pointed at your nose as well. And it's pointing at your nose. And actually, if you go on Amazon, a really good webcam that will shoot 4K video is 150 quid. I've got better than that. So I met a guy last and week. And people, and, and what uh, what surprises me is that people go, oh no, well, the company hasn't given me it. What? It's more, it's more simple than that though, isn't it? Because what, what yourself was what, I agree with you completely, because what's wrong with a little tripod stand off Amazon with a little phone holder behind your computer? Teams yeah. off your phone. Yeah. We're filming this on an iPhone. Yeah. And how good is video? Looks perfectly acceptable. You can take, well, if you've got a Mac, you can now use your iPhone as your webcam. One of my favourite ones here, Mike, is he says, what chapter is it? I think it's chapter five, I've got it down. Is he says about stop wishing things were easier? Yeah. Start making yourself better. He said, it's not easy. And there's a quote I've got here. He said, it's critical that you awaken from the delusion that somehow you are going to find a way to make this easy. You are not. I wrote on the book, in my notes, it's easy if you're prepared to do hard things. Yeah, but yeah, well, we were talking about this off camera, what a hard thing. Because, yeah. you know what, so I've got this client, and I, I adore her at the minute, maybe because she's just my client. I'm just she's spending shit on Yeah, maybe that's it. <laughs> but do you know what she said to me the other day? She was she she, 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 we, we, she couldn't get hold of me, she's, and I said, sorry, I'm just on the phone, whatever. Phoned her back, she said, what are we doing? I said, canvassing. She said, ah, good for you. She said, um, do you find it difficult? I said, no, not really. I said, it's not as difficult as being a nurse, I don't think. No. It's not, is it? No. There's a building site near where I live that, that they work when it's raining. And one of my kids when said to minus two. Yeah, one of my kids said, Dad, they shouldn't be working today. I said, yeah, but if they don't work, they don't get paid. For a very good friend of our families is a palliative care nurse. And uh, on her first night in a new job in palliative care, she had to declare seven people dead. And you had to make 20 cold calls. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, come on. And she earns, you know, you talk to her, and she's young, she, what is she, 29, 30, and you think... And she doesn't get paid much, 30 grand a year, whatever they get. Whatever. But yeah, well, getting back to the point that he's making, he's stopped wishing things were easier. Oh, I wish it were easier. I reckon there's loads of people with the green well, at home saying exactly that. There's lots of people right now... It's just the reality. It's just where, the market. You know, you hear people, the candidates talk to you about it. Well, what I'm really looking for is a job where they've got good marketing operation. Sorry, you're not going to get a good marketing operation. You're not going to get a job now with great marketing. Why? Because when times are tough, the first thing people cut is marketing budgets. End of. You're the marketing operation now. Correct. You're the lead generation machine now. And that's hard. It's not easy. It's not that hard, though, is it, Johnny? We place people on basic salaries of seventy to £120,000 a year. It's not that hard. What, what as, and you and I have talked about this many times on Book Club, is what flabbergasts me is 
we we recently had to give a little bit of money back to a client. Client hired a guy who, uh, at the time, pushed a salary to the nth degree during negotiation. I mean, he, he pushed it so much, I felt guilty for the client. I felt rotten. And I actually said to the client, I'm going to cap my fee out here because you keep counter-offering with more and more money. And he said, mate, I'm, I'm well beyond budget on my recruitment fee. And we agreed I'd help him out. We hired the guy and the guy got there. And at that money, I think it was about 120, 130K base they, they settled on in the end for a job that in reality was a 70, 80K sales job. But that money, you make miracles happen. Yeah. That's the deal. If you want that money... And the more did you can make a phone call for 12 weeks. And when my client said to him, listen, why don't you ring? There's 200 potential buyers in that market. So why don't you just bring them all up and ask them what software they've got when they're next renewing it? He said, no, 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 I'm a bit too long in the tooth for that. I don't do that. I don't do that with his words. Mad. And they fired him. Now, we talked about... going to be sat there, you know, saying, oh, I wish it was easier. Oh, uh, but, but but he's looking for an easier job. But the reality is that's not hard. No. It's not hard. Hello. 200 phone calls, 40 a day. Uh, uh, well, Jeb says later in the book, we're in the interruption business. Our job is to interrupt people. It's not even, you're not even interrupting them, are you? Well, if you've got something useful to say. Well, he worked for a good company, though. You placed him with a really good company in that market. Yeah, absolutely. And so the, for me, what are the hard things? The hard things are but they're not that hard, are blocking two hours out your diary or three hours every day to get on your phone and generate your own leads. That The people who do that will be the people that will survive this tough couple of years. They'll survive, they'll thrive. Yeah. I've recruited through recessions before. Prices are loads of guys who earned shit loads of money in 2008, 2009 and 2010. Loads. See, it's a bit off tangent. You might want to make a separate post out of this, but I've got a theory, right? And I think... That in a good market, if there's a hundred salespeople all selling something for one pound each, so the total of those salespeople is a hundred pounds, then the market shrinks and there's only eighty pounds available. I think out of those hundred, forty of them are rubbish. So then those sixty salespeople are sharing eighty pounds. I like that. That's something to do. I'll write that as an economic theory one day. But I really there was a reason why they call it the dismal science, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, but that. <laughs> But the, I think that is the reality, isn't it? And I think you've got to hit this yep. market. I've loads of people going, I wish you were easier. But then you've got a load of other people going, I know what happens now. I can make a lot of money. I agree. The ones that are, the hard things, picking up the phone, getting up at 5 a.m. and doing stuff. doing stuff, meditating, managing your mental health, reading loads of books, just doubling down on everything that makes you a class act. Those guys be all right. The ones that are a bit like, oh, wow, I'm waiting for someone to pay for some training, and oh, uh, I haven't got any MQLs, marketing qualified leads. No MQLs are coming through. They'll struggle. They're sat there wishing it was easy. The others are just finding a different way around. My missus said to me yesterday she'd had a really good day because she'd had this really important meeting with this really important prospect. So why don't you put the top of your funnel? Ha, ha! I, 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 I said to her, with you. Yeah, I said to so we're eating dinner, which fair play, my my wife had cooked lovingly for me. So I'm a bit of an ungrateful. Okay. But I go, she goes, yeah, top meeting with this top guy and it's all going really, really well. And it's looking like it's going to come together and become a deal. And I went, great, what you put on the top of your funnel? It's I, true. But it's true, isn't it? Come on. So 
Uh, there's a lot of chapters in this book, actually, 55. And they're all quite short, which I do quite like. I like that. I do it's... quite like that about it. Yeah. And chapter 14 is about talking with people. It says, there is a simple truth. The more people you talk with, the more you will sell. Now, I really think that's very accurate. And I was talking to a prospect the other day about it. And we were just sort of buggering about trying to get some terms sorted. We were emailing each other and all the rest of it. So I just phoned him. I said, listen, what's your issue with these terms? Can we just get it sorted now? We got it sorted. Took about three minutes. Job done. Perfect. But that's because it happens because I talked to him. Not because I was sat there. Tippy-tappying. You know my phrase. Tippy-tappy. I hate that. Tippy-tappy email. It's got its place, hasn't it? Yeah. But actually, if you want to create action and sell stuff to people, phone them up. Just talk. Don't use WhatsApp. Don't use text. Don't use email. Phone them up. If you want to win deals, it should create action because winning deals is like lots of little actions, isn't it? If you want, if you want to put stuff in the top of your funnel, or move it down your funnel, yeah, phone people up. I was talking uh, uh, very interestingly uh, uh, about to place a fella today. Bright young man who I, 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 I liked the moment I interviewed him. I thought, you'll go places, you. And uh, as the final stage of the recruitment process, the client said, can you ask him to write a response to this email from a client? Right. Don't tell me. Did he phone it? And do you know what his answer to, to me was before he sent the response? He said, I wouldn't respond to this by email. I'd pick up my phone and call the client. That's what he said. And I went, why? And he went, well, there's a load of objections, and if you start responding by email, it's just a bit stupid. I'd pick up the phone and I'd have rung her. And if I hadn't got hold of her, then I'd have rung her again, and then I'd have probably sent my email. Quite right. Quite So I said, write that back to the client, but do write the response. Mm. Obviously, today, I got a text from the client saying, please, can you tell me what his current basic salary is? Uh, his notice period and any other benefits he gets from his job, which I think is a half decent buying signal. Yeah, well, it's, it's, an inter- um, it's an interesting segue that into another point actually about. But he picks up the phone, this lad. Yes, and that's why I knew that when I met him, and his mindset is, oh, I'm not getting into some shit email thread. I'm picking up the blower. Completely agree. I'm just going to talk to it. I'll solve the problem. Do you think that the picking up the phone? Because I think that the uh, reliance on quick messaging, WhatsApp, Teams, you know, whatever it might be, I think that is, 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 we got into that in the pandemic and we're still got a bit of... Pandemic hangover. Yeah, we're still a bit of hangover about it now. It's a hangover now. And what Jeb's pointing out, what Jeb's saying is the more people you talk with, the more you sell. He's saying, talk to the geezer in the queue when you're getting your dinner. He's saying, talk to the guy at the pub sitting on his own. He said, talk to everyone. You do not know who you're sat next to. You go to a dinner, talk to them, talk to people at the golf club, talk to people in the gym. Yes, and I think it's all because he's saying, sooner or later, you're going to talk to somebody who's buying something. There's that, and there's the fact that when you work from home, which we do, you know, we're in the office unusually today, is you can easily go, if you're doing some admin or buggering, tippy-tappy buggering about which I hate, um, you can easily go three hours without talking to someone. Silent sales force. You could easily go three hours easily. Oh, yesterday morning, I messaged you and I said, I'm, I've, tip, I, I've, I've been the king of tippy-tappy this morning. I had a load of really tippy-tappy stuff to do. Um, and it's very easy to get into that. With some nice music on in the background. Chill out music, Cafe Del Mar Volume 16. 
Yeah, I've got me a beef for chill cheese. Ooh, I'll stop and have a little putt for Ooh. five minutes. Oh, and then, you know what someone does, Johnny? Some nutcase returned your call from yesterday. Right, what do you want? Oh, hang on a minute. I need to get my head, my, uh, my head out of cafe yoga and into cafe <laughs> selling shit to be... <laughs> the, the more people you talk with, and it, 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 just talking, being on the phone... Yeah, what's interesting is I, I, I do lots of stuff out, so I go to a few clubs and whatever, and the clubs are quite different. So one of the clubs is... Um, it's got very uh, down-to-earth people in it, I would say. And one of the other clubs has got very sort of a different socio-demographic. And it's interesting with the different socio-demographics, it, it just becomes more rounded, doesn't it? You know, I think for us, sometimes we talk to CFOs to get terms signed. They're a very different demographic to what we normally deal with. Just talking. Yes. Talking. Talking to the guy at the next year at the bloody tube. Yeah, but don't do that to me. I don't like. I don't talk to people on the tube. No, I don't. I won't talk to you on the tube because I'll think you're some sort of psycho weirdo. Yeah. What do you reckon to this one then, Pricey? I can't remember which chapter it is in the book. He says, go where the money is. Stop trying to squeeze nickels from turnips. What do you reckon? I think, I, I, I think, so, so I'll answer your question in a roundabout way. So one of the clients I deal with uh, works for a VC who buys a software company. So he's obviously great for me because yeah. he buys a software company, so he's perfect. And I, was, and I had this conversation with him, and I said, where's the money at the minute, do you reckon? And he went, for us, the money's in bricks and mortar IT. Right. He says the money's in cloud, it's in security, it's in compliance, it's selling services to install base where the software's had to get out. Yeah, anything that sweats the asset. So right now, would you be canvassing in the MarTech arena? I wouldn't. Would you be canvassing in the hotel and hospitality software arena? Or would you be talking to people who sold uh, body shopping services to SAP users and SAP soon end of life? That's what he's talking about. Yes, it is. Now, I, 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 I'm really behind Jeb Blunt on this. Be smart, go with the money. You and I have a significant advantage here, though, which is our business is agile and small. There's different. So, I, I slightly agree, but but we sit over across different software markets. And you, but uh, and you and I have pivoted. The moment the market soured, into areas. Well, we're not dealing with VC-backed AI companies anymore. No, we pivoted. Yesterday's hero. <laughs> Whatever, uh, but we have, and you and I have got that. Sorry about that. C three AI. If you're listening. You can. <laughs> they can call. Feel free to call us, if you've got any money, uh, but we. You and I have pivoted. Bang. Done. What if you've been selling software to the hospitality market for 20 years? Correct. What if you work for Oracle and your job is to manage 50 named accounts? Or what do you do? Tell you what you do, right? So you can't pivot like you and I can pivot. Well, I, I think you should be able to. So this is covered elsewhere in the book. In my opinion, I think salespeople have two layers. One is a database layer. And the database layer is how you sell, how organized you are, how driven you are, how well-trained you are. The second layer is what you sell. So I think some salespeople are lazy and actually what they become, where their laziness takes them is into um, knowing how to demo a piece of software well to the retail market. You become Mr. ERP retail guy. Yeah, or you become Mr. Tilt. Which is brilliant when time's good. And but it's lazy. Retail. But it's lazy. Because actually, at no point did you ever um, 
So what you're saying is create an underlying core value of skills that have transferable. Right. So what you're saying is you've overly, the, the guy that's overly built his personal market value in vertical market or technology, as opposed to their salesmanship, is frankly fucked. Yeah, because I think let's take this person. Because you can't, you can't. Let's take this person who sells tills to retail for Oracle and who manages, I don't know, some retailers. They're all, all struggling, aren't they? If that person has got the green sticker on them now, hundred percent, why would we doing? If I was them, if this is you, is I would go out and spend two grand on sales training. And then at that point, you can pivot and change. Yeah, because you need to be able to turn around somebody in an interview who sells SAP body shopping services to the warehouse and logistics sector, which will be rocking, and say, well, I don't know anything about your sector, but actually I've got a transferable skill base. Here is my certificate from Sander that shows that I am a, I have got a transferable set of skills. I am a world-class sales professional in the IT industry. Now, how many people are going to do that? None. No, because it's very tempting, and this is the challenge, is the recruitment industry set up to stop you from doing that? LinkedIn is. LinkedIn, LinkedIn is set up. Is. The, the LinkedIn algorithm is set up to stop you from doing that. And the reality And the price is, of salespeople. You know, the price of salespeople. If you're an expert in the housing sector, you know, housing sector's pretty busy right now. You're a housing expert. You're a top guy. You're on 70K base. You're probably going to move for 85, 90 right now. Because, Which is a mistake. It's both a mistake and it's not a mistake. It's both. But... What if actually the housing market collapses? What if the budgets all go out of the social housing market? What if actually we build a glut of housing? Then what are you going to do? You can't go where the money is. I think, and I, I, and actually, I think what tends to happen is these people, the, the people that can't go where the money is, are all often very high basic salary people that live on the basic. Well, you're going to see a lot of alliance guys um, in the comms channel. I think at the minute, Cisco are going to get rid of all their alliance salespeople. Aren't they? They'll be on like hundred k basic. And they'll all be apply. Uh, they'll, they'll all be applying to my ERP body shopping roles because it's paying under twenty k basic. Let's go to the job. We're about to see thousands of people come out of Microsoft. We're about to see thousands of people come out of Salesforce. IBM will be next. Oracle will be next. I, I was speaking to a candidate the other day. It's a funny story. This speaking to a candidate the other day, and uh, he was saying, "Yeah, well, I've quite a few things on the go, and your client looks okay, but I've got Oracle on the go." And I said, "I won't get excited about that. They'll put that on hold next week." I remember you telling me, "Yeah." I thought Tuesday they put it on hold. And uh, I sent Mike a picture of me with a crystal ball like that. But the guy thinks I'm a clairvoyant. But the reality is that it'll all stop. But who are they going to offload? Are they going to offload the guy that can actually sit over 50 different accounts and maybe eight different products? Or are they going to look at these specialists? CSM specialist for... The, well, who are the first people that always get cam pricey? Alliance. Overlays. Alliance overlays. Um, overlays. Overlay sales. I think you're going to see a lot of sales enablement people on the market now, and I think they're going to struggle. Sales enablement. Overlays. Enable yeah. Why do the overlays get? Because... Because they don't add any value. Because actually, you're on 100 and God knows what as an overlay to be a product specialist, but then how do you pivot? That's the bit. What Jeb Blunt's saying here is go where the money is, and the money is actually not being that expert in any one thing. The money is actually being able to say, I'm a world-class sales professional and I'll nail it wherever I go. 100%. You do that, you can pivot. You can look at the job you're in now and you can say, Phew, I'm in a job where actually this market's going to struggle. I'll pivot into something else. I also think that a lot of people in our market just are so naive about the way that they move jobs, really. 
you know, think about it at all. They don't think they just get caught up. Uh, I, I'm just get caught up. I'm reading a lot of Ray Dalio at the moment. In chili bottles and beanbags. Yeah, I'm reading a lot of Ray Dalio at the moment. He talks about this river of life. People right. Get caught up in the rapids. Yeah, yeah. And the rapids are, oh, well, I went to work for Company X when I was 26, and it was great because it was 2018, and the market was booming, and the business just grew like billio, and I was part of it. I was at the, the, the rising tide floated in my boat, and then the business got sold, and I made loads of money out of the shares. And actually, everybody thought I was a top guy, and then I got another job in exactly the same market, and it was really cool, and I was on a 120K base, so I bought a Range Rover and I bought a big fat house and I put my kids into a top private school. Uh, in fact, the, my kids are only two, so I put them into a top private nursery for 15 grand each a year. And uh, my wife stopped working and then I decided I needed more money. So I stayed in the same market and somebody offered me 140k basic salary. And then actually I woke up and realised that uh, the economy had fallen in on itself, the stock market had crashed. The VCs had stopped funding the product set that I'm in. And you've woken up one morning having gone along the river of life, but not actually planned it on a 140k base with 140 grand's worth of outgoings, needing to probably a quarter of a million pound a year to wash your face. And actually, oh shit, where's my big pivot? Oh, and then you want to make a pivot, but you still want a 140k basic salary. Well, exactly. But you're not worth 140k outside of your little niche where you've been dragged along in the river of life. That's enough said, Jonathan. One of the things I like that Jeb talks about in the book is objections. And he actually talks about making... His point is, he said, why would you get nailed by the same objection more than once? Quite right. Now, I'd love to know how many people have got and I, and I genuinely started doing this the other day i've created like in sharepoint like a little thing yeah yeah well i was starting to list objections and i'm going to write responses to those objections it was easy a year ago i didn't need to do that i could just, well the thing I, is a year ago you did need this is one of my thoughts in the book actually to interrupt you but what i think about this book is the and one reason i don't like it actually is good people have always done everything in this book Right, straw poll, LinkedIn. How many of you have got a list of the key objections you get? None. I don't think one person has. None. But what Jeb's saying is you should have a list of every objection you get and you should have a written, detailed response to every single one of those objections, which you practice and know by heart. Completely agree. Is he wrong? No, he's absolutely right. 100%. He's been right. He's 100% right. That is professional selling. Yeah, and you know, the funny thing actually about objections is when you hear the same ones over and over again, you're flat less. You used to overcome them with so much more. That's what he's saying. That's exactly his point in the book. And I have a very deep recollection of this point, which is he's saying, if you've recognised the objection that you get every time, have a written response to it and learned it by heart, you will sound calmer, less flappy. Yeah. And by sheer nature of the fact that you sound calmer and less flappy, even if your response is a little bit shit, You'll probably overcome the objection. I, I totally, because you just sound so confident. I tell you, it's like an objection. An objection is a little bit like a fight in a bar. So if you push me in a bar, right, and I push you back, well, you're a stone lighter than me now, Bryson. But, so 
if you, but if you push if you push me in the bar and I push you back, then we get in a fight. Yeah. If you push me in the bar and I say, I just don't have a fight with you. I'd rather not do this. There's no fight. No. And I think objections emotionally are like that. They object. You raise your voice a little bit just because you've got a bit of adrenaline through you, coursing through your body. Of course you do. That, 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 whole, that whole encounter has more, is more advanced brain, they call it, don't they? Well, you're reading that book, The Chimp Paradox, though. Super. All about the lizard brain. It's just... Your lizard brain takes... And he's saying the same thing. Injection. He's saying, if you're comfortable and ready for it, it doesn't escalate. It doesn't become something that it doesn't need to be. No, it's the basics. Listen, pause. Listen, pause, clarify. clarify. Do they still teach that? I hope so. Probably I don't know. I, I wonder if Benjamin Dennehy teaches that. Listen, pause, clarify. Listen, pause, clarify. So I just want to make sure I understood what you said. Buy yourself a bit of time. And then just go back with a response and move on. Calm, cool. Objection handling. And he's right. Write them all down. Write a response. Learn it till it's so fucking automatic that you don't think when it comes up. You don't think it. And, and you know, I've, I've got a heart rate, on, heart rate monitor on today, actually, because I cycled in. But, like, your heart rate shouldn't move. Shouldn't move. Heart rate shouldn't move a shouldn't beat. Flicker. Shouldn't move a beat when you get your objection. Those are the people that will earn loads and loads of money in the next couple of years. 100%. But I don't think many people will do it. Well, no one will, no one will do it, Johnny. No. No, well, did you know, a few of them might. So we've just been talking about a young lad. He might. If you said to him, he, this is what you need to do, he'd say, really, is that what I need to do? Yeah, okay. But that's why he'll he'll reach stratospheric points. Because actually there's a generation now, I think, and we're, we're moving on to a whole other conversation here. Now's the time. Completely agree. To Some become... star, genuine stars will be born. This will be like PTC of the late 90s. Stars will be born in the next five years. Superstars. And... Companies are in a position they haven't been in for years now where they can train people like PTC did back in the 90s. Yeah. It's the first time they'll be able to put a cohort of young salespeople under that kind of pressure. It's the first time where they'll be able to say, we're going to do an intake of 20 and only five of you will still be here in four weeks' time. Yeah, correct. Whereas okay. no company's been able to do that. Companies will be able to do that in the next couple of years and they'll make stars in the, in the process. Completely agree. So, listeners, I'm going to tell you something. Listeners, viewers. Johnny Graham was into sequencing before anybody else knew what it was, me included. What, 2015? Yeah, 2015. way ahead of it. I can't, what was the product you used to use? Oh, it was Mar... I think Marketo bought it. Yeah, I can't remember what it was now. It'll come back to me. But I think now we're in a world where 90% of people use sequencing. Yeah. I've never liked it. I'm old-fashioned, probably because I'm old, I guess. I start picking up the phone. But even I'm into it a little bit. Now, I think 19 could have been a, could have been a book in its own right. But nonetheless, he's got here a good sequence, and I agree with him. Phone, voicemail, email, social media, direct message, video message, text message, in-person prospecting. I really like AOL. that chapter I think on sequence. Absolutely superb. The two bits I like the most, uh, one is in-person prospecting. We were talking about a trade show today. Yeah, I think if you had a particular target cohort that you went after that was limited to, let's say, I don't know, health and safety software, there'll be a health and safety trade show somewhere in the UK this year. If you were serious about that market, you would pitch up on the stand of healthandsafetyco.co.uk. Well, as a recruiter? Yeah, and say, listen, Bill. What, I know you what if you're a sales guy? In well, let's just use that. I'd say, listen, Bill, I know you don't want to talk to me on the phone. I don't care. I'm studying now. Let's talk. 
All right, so let's, here's one. You're a sales guy. Yeah. You sell health and safety software. Yeah. You work for a small vendor that hung up the money to go to the show. Yeah. You're going to go to the show anyway? 100%. I concur. I'm going to sit in the, I'm going to sit in the coffee bar area all day. I think that's better than having a stand. Possibly. Well, in reality, what's there? All the people you want to talk to, they've all got lanyards, they've all got their names. Now, we have to take, I have to take my process of dealing with my prospects. Because my prospects are salespeople. They don't mind me getting a bit rough and tumble with them. I mean, is it the same selling health and safety software? Don't know. I don't know. I know nothing about health and safety. But let's say you walk past Janet Smith and you see Janet Smith on the lanyard. Would I try and side look to Janet Smith when she was stood in the queue for having a cup of tea and I just ended up being stood next to her? I just ended up in the queue next to her. Yeah, 100%. I'd definitely do that. Too right. Introduce yourself. Hi. So that's an important part of it. But the bit he's talking about in sequencing, I, 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 the, 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 what he's talking about is having a sequence, but it doesn't have to be in Gong or Sales Loft or, or wherever. What he's saying is just have a sequence. Yeah. I think he calls it 555 or 531. Yeah. I mean, reality. Five calls, three emails, one Re- text. Reality is you could keep that on an Excel spreadsheet. I'm not saying you should, but you could have a send of, have a phone them, have a have an email, da, 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 as a checklist, couldn't you? Yep. Checklist. And all these people that sit at home whinging. Well, they did. Couldn't they? Software isn't very good. Or, you don't, you don't, or, you don't, you don't well, they went to this company. They didn't even invest in outreach. Just get a grip. Yeah, do it yourself. And I do think, I think of all the secrecy stuff, I really like this, because I'll tell you what it's not is, four emails, second email, did you see my email yesterday? Yeah, oh, I deleted Some it. of the sequencing that we're getting now is so bad. I got one from a company that was selling marketing automation and sales sequencing services on a Thursday that wished me a happy Friday. Ha <laughs> ha! Beautiful. Yeah, I was just like, and I nearly responded saying this is a bad start. And then I thought, well, what's the point? It's just what's the point? It's just bullying. But it, 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 we've reached peak sales sequencing, haven't we? It, it, we? We don't do it anymore. And actually, real sequencing is, hello. Yes. That's the bit everybody's missing out, the sequence. The phone. The what phone. do you think about sending text? He but makes it... a really interesting point, which is he said, you think you're warming them up, but you're not. You're forewarning them now. Yes, and I do agree with that. That's why, that's why that's why I this first one. You're actually forewarning them. I think sequences for me now, I only have put them in a sequence if I actually can't hold them. You're better off create. I think you're better off now creating content that's relevant and likable on, on social media if you want to warm people up. A lot of my prospects know who I am. I completely agree. They know. I comment that, on that, a lot that, of prospects that, yeah. on social media posts because it's pathetic. I, I, I often, well... It's pathetic how many comments they get, and it's not like they're putting bad posts out, they just don't know how to post it. So you're one of two comments. Correct. If I'm chasing you as a prospect, I've got a recurring task to look at your social media and comment and like. 100% the case. Now, that's good sequencing. Yes, I do exactly the same. Exactly. That's good sequencing. But this whole sort of these automated emails, one after another after another, did you get my last email? Hi, just, just checking in. Firstly, I cannot tell you how much I hate the word just. Should be the name, I agree. Well, all salespeople, the first thing they should learn is to stop using the word just. And but. And but. Thank you. Ridiculous. Ridiculous. But it's a good idea. No, stop using the word but and just. Anyway, we're off topic now. That's the point. I think that's a good chapter. I liked it. Good chapter. So, Johnny, tell me what 
misdeans about the golden hours and what you think they are. I think we're all on the same page with it, really. Golden hours. So in the old days, we used to call it prime selling time. Yeah. So what's prime selling time? Believe it or not, it's actually 8 till about 11 a.m. For me, it's 8 till about... In our businesses. How, how obnoxious am I when you're trying to put something in a diary for 8 o'clock? So, uh, 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 listeners, viewers, friends, the other day, my, we have a project catch-up meeting every three days. Every, well, every other day. And in the project catch-up meeting, we're talking about client projects. So we're up to the research team. We're talking to our fulfillment team about the work they're doing. Now, Mike, like a proper salesperson, has already decided that none of those things are his problem because he's got to get a new client. Correct. And therefore... Top of the funnel, Johnny. Therefore, fulfillment for our customers, that's just not his problem. So if you ask Mike to talk to him about fulfillment issues or process-driven issues or anything that doesn't involve talking to a client between the hours of 8 and 11, he gets pathetically grumpy. Yeah, childishly. <laughs> yes, like a child. Uh, petulant. Yes. Um, but he is right. He protects his golden hours. Is... But I think they do. I think in this market, let's say you're selling to lawyers, you're not going to get hold of a lawyer at 10 o'clock, I wouldn't have thought. No. Meetings and that, well, billable time, isn't it? Are you going to get hold of one between 12 and half past one? Probably. Lunch. Yeah. Yeah. How many of the salespeople that sell Are you going to get hold of one between 6 and 7 p.m.? Yeah, to sat at the desk buggering about doing stuff. You know, in the old... But, one of the reasons people get out of recruitment, isn't it, is in lots of recruitment environments, you only get to speak to your candidates between 8 and 10 a.m. And, yeah, exactly. and, and 5 and 7 p.m. because they're low-level candidates and they're in an office all the time. I would imagine recruitment's got a lot of, a lot easier for a lot of people because those... But getting back to my lawyers, getting back to my lawyer, if I was selling to lawyers... You I'd would bring your blower between 8 and 10. And I would be on my phone between 12 and 1.30. Yep. And if one of my mates said... Oh, should I come out for lunch at 12? No. Say, no. No, under, no, no circumstances. I'll meet you at half two. Yeah, no circumstances. Yeah. I would change my day to fit the golden hours selling to my prospects. Hours are eight till ten still, really. Yeah. Before oh, our clients and candidates. Well, they're all in the... Yeah, exactly. So, point being is, how many of the salespeople out there think about when best to target their prospects? I want to say not many. I don't. I, I agree. I don't think there's many salespeople out there that are thinking, right, I'm just going to... Uh, I'll tell you what's really interesting is I placed a fellow recently, Mike, who uh, joined a company, and I said, how's my guy getting on to the client? He said, I really like him. And I said, that denotes that others don't. <laughs> and he said, there's a bit of friction. And I said, why? And he said, he won't go to meetings. I said, what do you mean? He said, you send him meet requests for internal meetings and he just says no. <laughs> and I said, why does he say no? And he said, because he said he wants to be on his telephone at that time bringing prospects. He sounds ace. And I said, what, I, said, what, I said, what are you doing about it? He said, I'm not doing anything about it, mate. But he said it has ruffled a few feathers because he just flat refuses to go to internal meetings. You see, isn't that interesting in terms of how... I think just generally we as a society as a society don't like just disagreeing with people. Yeah. But this guy's saying, Well no 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 mate, you don't pay me to go to that meeting. I'm gonna be on my phone at that time, sorry. I'm ringing prospects. He'll do well. He'll do well and he'll sell stuff and everybody'll leave him alone. Yes. And and I said, Who's he upset? He's upset some pretty senior people actually. Ain't got fired yet though, has he? No. He won't get fired. 
And, and the hiring manager will protect him till his head falls off. Of course will, yeah. Because he's on his phone. And that's what the point Jeb's making is, protect your golden hours. I think most people, there's an internal meeting put in the diary, and most people haven't got the courage to say, sorry, I won't be attending that. That's prime selling. Yeah, I need to do two hours prospecting. And that's Sorry, I'm it. not driving to your stupid sales meeting or your stupid team get-together. That's prime selling time. I'm not doing a sales meeting every month off-site for a whole day because that's 12 days of my year, and that 12 days of my year out of 200 is what? 5%? I've, I'm I've, not going to spend 5% of my year sat in a meeting listening to my colleagues talk about how they've not sold anything. I'd rather be at home on my phone. Correct. I think there's plenty of salespeople out there who are going to a spinning class at 12 o'clock because the spinning class is on at 12 o'clock. Even though actually it's prime selling time yeah. for that, for their market. For, for, yeah, for their market. Yeah, it's not. And, and different markets have got different, you know, if you sold to doctors, I'm sure, uh, if you sold to GP surgeries, I bet prime selling time is different. Oh, it's bound to be. It's bound to be. You won't be able to get hold, you're not going to get hold of a GP between 8 and 6 p.m., are you? Well, you can't get hold of one for two weeks, can you? <laughs> So I'm going to talk to you about this, Johnny, chapter 31. Go on. I didn't read it. Why? Because I hate the title. And I hate this about selling and particularly, it seems, American salespeople. It says, don't bring charm to a gunfight. What does he mean? I don't care. And I don't know. Oh, so you dislike the chapter because you just don't like the vernacular. Yeah. And I, and I was reading <laughs> it. Yeah. But I'll tell you what, right? Selling is not a gunfight. It's not a fight. No, that's it, it. It says it's adversarial. It's not. It's adversarial. not adversarial. It paints the wrong picture, and what it also does is, I think, lots of salespeople try to add this machismo to selling, and then we sort of wonder why there's not as many women in the sales industry as there are men. It's because there's an underlying use of language around machismo. I saw it on this guy's title on this guy's LinkedIn uh, profile recently, and he, and and um, it's just a sales rep, right? Good track record and everything. He said he's American. He came to Europe, tour of duty, Europe, taking such and such software to the European market. Hate all that. I think as writers and authors and people, and I'm getting all really woke because I'm 44, because I've got, got to a think about old daughter. Think about got to think about that. Got to think about that. Oh, selling's a fight. No, it's not. It's not a fight. It's, it's not a fight. You make it a fight, and it's a pretty unpleasant way to spend the next 30 years Why of your life. That? You're going to get a fight for 30 years in your sales career. You've got to fight. You're going to do it. Well, it's a bit tiring, that, isn't it? Yeah. So I'm, we're not really talking about the book. It's just me having a rant. Oh, you baffle that had loads of machismo. I think it's... It, a selling that doesn't need to... Exist. It's not a fight. It's not a fight. It's a game. It's not a game. It's just a job. It's just work. It's just a job. You know, reality... And I'm not dubbing down what we do or what the people do. Reality is, what, what do me and you do? We work at McDonald's. We get a load of ingredients, follow a process, put it together, there's a burger. What do these guys do that sell million quid software? Follow a process like in a production. It's right? easy knowledge it work. It's a lot. I, 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 I tell you, maybe I'm going off on tangent here, Mike. Well, I, I, I haven't read the. I haven't actually read the chapter. I, 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 I hate think it so that much. selling, being a salesperson in our industry, doesn't matter if you're on 40k base OTE 80 or 150k base OTE 300, you have won the lottery. Oh, God. It's a lottery win. What are we doing right now, Johnny? A, We're sat in a really nice place. It's a universal, a book. cosmic, fat, fuck-off lottery win. Of course it is. You've won the cosmic lo life lottery. You really have. Oh, poor you. You've got to sit home, make a few phone calls, drive around, go to a few meetings. Do, do, do you know I was what? looking on LinkedIn today with an old client of ours. We don't engage with them anymore. Big corporate now with a big in-house team. 
they're, they're having their kickoff in Orlando. Oh, I saw the same thing, yeah. It's a lottery win. It's a cosmic lottery win. And if you said that to him, he's a really nice down. He'd say, yeah, man. too, right. He'd say, yeah, it's really great. I can't but believe this whole thing about... Oh, it's really hard, it's isn't not, it? It's not work. It's re- Recruitment's not work. No, it's easy. What do I do all day? Speak to really nice people. <laughs> Have a bit of bants with them. One of them, one of them sent me a picture today of, of where they are in the world for their sales kickoff in the villa. They went, check this out. I mean, it, it, a big humbling thing for us has been, for me and you, and a big life lesson has been building a team in the Philippines oh. that do a lot of our back office research work has been, I hate to use the word humbling, but it has been humbling. Well, we were talking about healthcare provision. Yeah. And people are sort of, they get into this mindset and he, he, he talks about it in the book about doing the hard, what he calls the hard stuff. It's not hard. It's not, completely agree. It's an easy life. It's an easy life. And, and it, it, you know, he's, he's saying, I've got to prepare to sell in a crisis. Try living, try living in some of these other countries. Selling in a crisis in the UK is a damn sight easier than lots of other jobs. So, you know, you know I bang on about, the, 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 about nurses. Let's get it right. How many salespeople are, make, are now making the choice between putting the heating on or feeding the kids? None. No. How many nurses are? Loads of them. Uh, we, we had a guest for dinner recently, and uh, an elderly guest who was talking, and I thought, that person's struggling is making decisions between food and heat. None of the, none of the people listening to this show are. No. no. They, might, they might only go out once a month instead of twice. Yeah. They might, might, might not be going out for dinner every week. Yeah. Yeah. They're also going on holiday. They're also so, in an aeroplane. You know, we talk about selling in a crisis. Buckles down. Gunfight. Yeah. Shut up, Jeb. Yeah, it's not that hard. Shut up. He's it, never been in a gunfight, has he? It's not that hard a life. And, it, and it's, you know, he... That's why I hate that chapter. I get it. Because actually... Even when it's tough and you're not going to earn as much money as you're you shot, it's, it's still a cosmic lottery win. You're not going shot. Yeah, I agree. So we've come out. Uh, we got sick of sitting in the office, so we thought we'd record on location. It is a bit. There's a bit of background noise. We'll edit it as best as we can, but in reality, tough luck. Um, so so we're going to talk about dealing with decision makers. Yes. So he says, over the past month, I've had several of my potential accounts hit a wall because the person I was working with turned out not to be the decision maker. What is frustrating is that these people told me in our initial meeting that they were the decision makers. Now, we know what that means in our industry. Yeah, and people was, passing themselves off as a decision maker. And I've got this client, right, and she's fascinating. I, mean, I hope she watches this. Because we were talking about this. And uh, part of her, um, her interview process, she um, does a role play. Right. And one of the questions she asks is, yeah, but how do you know that's a decision maker? Oh, really? How do you actually know? What has it money authority need? Yeah. I mean, she's a top paid person there paying big money, these guys. She says, how do you know that's a decision maker? And how do you know that somebody else for our competition hasn't got a decision maker who's more decision maker than our decision maker? Well, what's really interesting is I think times have been so good, people haven't needed to worry. Because they're always going to get business anyway. They're always making money. And I, I think that, that real basic question of... Can you sign that? Can you yeah. sign this contract? Is it you? And it, I think that's a question people have not really been asking. And I think now in the the economic gloom that we've got, that this, those decision makers are going to sit higher up in organisations. That's what Jeb's point is. In exactly. The, is that now decisions that would have been delegated 
are now being reassumed by senior execs. How is you as a salesperson that's sold in a decent market going to make sure you're actually dealing with the decision maker? Because last year, it might have been the purchasing manager, whereas this year is the purchasing director. Yeah, and we're seeing that in recruitment. I've seen a lot more C-level client engagement already. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whereas before... You could just deal with somebody... I'm actually, what, what's really interesting is I'm seeing there's quite a lot of in-house recruiters hitting the job market. Yes. Where recruitment is now, particularly of salespeople, has now become too important to initially leave to somebody... You, the hiring manager wants to do it themselves. And the same is going to be true for our clients. And it must be happening in all facets of being a salesperson. You know, I'm sure the CFO is wanting to deal with this rather than somebody that sat below them. Yeah, absolutely. So how do people do it? Well, I think for me, it comes back to that. What Jeb's saying is qualify, ask. Yes. I, I, but don't you think there's going to be, uh, we've had seven years worth of people not needing to ask and they're going to be uncomfortable asking those questions or actually like people have, yeah. I think people have always been uncomfortable asking that question. Are you, is it you? Do you, asking the basics of, okay, so have you got the budget for this procurement? Correct. Where well, is the budget there? Who's got the budget? When did the budget get signed off? Now, Who signs it? Now, let me take you... Why did it get signed off? Let me take you into a... Why is there budget? Let me take you into a different book that I didn't like, actually, which was Gap Selling by Keenan. Oh, God, I can't even remember it. Well, he was saying you create the budget by creating a gap between where they're at and where they need to be. And sometimes you do. I think that is going to be a lot harder now. I think people are going to... The decision makers are turning back to... Well, look at look at our, our, I think what we've got our, a couple of years of companies in, in, in you know a year ago they'd have got oh we've got two candidates we only had budget for them we'll hire them both anyway oh bollocks we'll get another one and if our clients are doing that their clients are doing it well the reality is people may have a gap between where they are and where they need to be right now but the likelihood is that gap needs to be horrifically painful now and it needs for people to get money and it, well look at this this is 12 o'clock in a major city shuttery. There's no one in. In a major city. There's no one in here. So this company, Pho, that was opposite, which is really nice, great food. Don't like it. Vietnamese street food. No. I, li- I like it. It's the reason why I don't live in But the point being is, chief exec of that company, do you want to buy a new tilt? No, we don't sell enough stuff. Correct. Midweek, he's not selling anything. Correct. So are they going to buy more stuff? But getting back to the point, I think, as he says, you just said, the decision makers are now higher up. How skilled... But it's, it's, the question is, are people going to qualify hard enough? No. But the guys that make money over the next few years, they'll ask... A lot of this is about doing the uncomfortable. So this project... Was more uncomfortable. Who's involved in I it? I it's more uncomfortable, Johnny. Losing the sale in three months' time because you didn't ask on day one. Or, or more uncomfortable, forecasting a sale... Correct. ...that never existed in the first place. Correct. Oh, yeah, boss, it's a big project, this. Really? Are you sure? Why? Who says? Have they got the money? And a lot of that's going to come back down to sales leadership, asking harder questions. Absolutely. I was talking to a guy on the golf course the other day. they've not dared because they didn't want their rent to leave. I was talking to a guy on the golf course the other day, worked for a major global software vendor. He said that all of a sudden, extremely senior executives have started showing up on commit calls. Really? And those executives have started asking squirmy questions that are making people squirm. This deal on your forecast, 
Why is it on your forbits? But those execs will have been in the business for 20 years. Correct. And they're getting back to sending this message of, let's start asking some hard questions, doing some hard stuff. Correct. I don't like this book, Jonathan, as you know. One of you my, weren't a fan. One of our problems with it is there are no diagrams. Not a picture anywhere. However, chapter 48 has it's a diagram. A little, model, a, little nine, a little nine box model, hasn't it? I'll hold it to the camera. You can't see it. Well, the punters say. Exactly. But anyway, what he's basically talking about is developing account retention plans. And I think in a tough market, this is true in every market, isn't it? But when it's a good market, you don't just need to look after your clients that much because there's plenty more around the corner. But in a tough market, go on, you don't know, with that. I, I actually think in the last few years, one of the areas where companies have got very good and the, uh, is they've got good at keeping clients. But they've had to because we're moving into SaaS sales. Correct. I think in the SaaS world, everybody, you know, I said to you yesterday, there was some software we wanted to buy and I chose the vendor that signed me on a monthly, not an annual contract. Yeah, so you can bin it. So if I don't like it, I can bin them. Yeah. And you, you, you didn't object either way, you don't care. But the reality is we're in a world now where retention is everything. But so it's interesting, actually. So Jeb's talking about having a retention plan. I think in our world, that's less relevant. Because most our clients are geared up around our clients' worlds. In our clients' worlds, I think it's less relevant. Because yeah, I think most of our clients are geared up around customer success and account management better than those organisations have ever been. Fair comment. You can't you can't lose now with everybody being on annual contracts. God, you're only as, you're only as good as your last month's service, aren't you? It's interesting. I... How many vendors? I, let's get it right. I've been through two marketing automation vendors this year. Yes. Now, as it happens, one of them's come along and made a sign a one-year contract. But I've been through two monthly vendors. So you can't. But what's interesting is neither of those vendors had an account plan for me. Neither of those vendors particularly delivered great customer success. So they lost. World's a lot more black and white now around account management, I think. It's a different kind of account management. So do you like his account retention plan? Well, I suppose it's relevant if you're selling timber or something. Right. Yeah. In our world in IT sales, I don't think it, 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 it that kind of counts. Because everybody's obsessed with account retention anyway. Fair comment. Like it. Page 159. Close better. What do you think? I think he should have reworded it actually close <laughs> it's interesting because we both know somebody and what she does is you know quite well actually and what she does is i think she just closes everybody she meets right on everything on everything as in all the time i don't think she has any do you actually know she's closing people? yeah it's just in her nature and um um because she just closes everybody all the time the deal's close Right. Full stop. I don't think she knows what Miller Hyman is. Don't think she knows what Medic is. Don't think she knows a single sales methodology other than close stuff. And I think you do a lot for us now. Close everybody me. On everything. All the time. I, I, one of the things I do like about the book, he talks about it a lot, is closing for micro-commitments. That's what this person does. All the time. On everything. Well, I'm going to do that, yes. Are you sure? Yes. Definitely, yes. And you've been closed. Because then, when you come in for the big close, it's not a big close, is it? Now, uh, we'll make some social media out of this post, out of this part of the show. 
and I'll wind everybody up a little bit about how most people aren't real closers. And then people will pile in about, the market's not like that anymore. It's not how you do it anymore. The deal closes itself if you followed the process well enough along. Miller Hyman would say that. Nobody reads Miller Hyman anymore, Mike. Shame, because it's one of the best sales processes ever written. It's not fashionable. I can't remember the last time I heard a salesperson mention Miller Hyman as a paradigm to me. Maybe they should start doing it again. I can't remember the last time I, I, I heard any salesperson talk about strategically plotting a sale and thinking about where it is and in comparison to where it needs to be. I can't remember the last time I'd heard of a salesperson who would sit down and formally map a deal. So let's go back Let's go back to what's going to be your so, rant. So my little rant's going to be about closing. Yes. And I'm going to say nobody closes anymore. And then everybody's going to say, that's not how sales is. The the days of the pushy sales... The public sector lot are going to say that. All of them. All of them. You reckon? Yeah, I'm going to get absolutely battered on this one. I'll get battered on it. But I think the good sales guys do still close. And I think there's this misconception that closing is like an aggressive, pressury thing. It's not. It's just a matter of having the courage to ask the hard questions all the time. It's interesting. The good salespeople as candidates close me. Are you going to send my CV there? Have you sent my CV there? Why not? They ask hard questions. Not hard questions, are they? Well, then we call them the hard questions, but they're just the key questions that should be asked. Yeah. They ask us as a... part of being a professional in this game. And what I've noticed, and we've seen it, is Jeb's right. He says close better. I think it's just close. Uh, I'm seeing it in candidates in interviews. People have had it so good for so long. I saw it in one yesterday. Just haven't closed. Well, look at the feedback. I've got two candidates, something. You've got one. Well, you know the candidate I'm talking about. Just haven't closed. And he's a good sales guy. He's experienced. Got, got a good track record. Good track record, but he's had years of not having to. Whereas, actually, that whole concept of, okay, let's just summarise what we've talked about. You told me you were looking for the following things. I've covered that, I've covered that, I've covered that, and I've covered that. Anything else you want to talk about? No. Great. Any reason why we won't move this forward to the next stage now? Well, uh, well, go on. Tell me. Please, that, where is it? That. All right. Please, please. Please. Go on, do expand on that. All right. So you're concerned about that. If I can, if I can sort that out, will you move forward? Yes. That okay. was the feedback I took yesterday. It's in... Well, it's in Salesforce. Yeah. It's the account. You've seen it. That was the feedback. I that, those basics of salesmanship. And I think for me, as the closing comment on this book, what Jeb's book is, is a clarion call for us all to get back to the absolute basics of salesmanship. It is. I think that if you've been a top performer for 20 years, you don't need to read this. Because you're doing it anyway. And you've been through a couple of crises. You're doing it anyway. If you're 28 and you're on 110k base because you worked at XYZ Soft, for God's sake, pick this book up. Your life depends on it. I think so, yeah. Your life depends on it. But don't just read it. Actually, Actually it. it. You know, about making commitments and keeping it with yourself, about investing in yourself, about all those things, do it. And that was sort of one of our problems with the book, actually, which is it's a tabloid. Uh, headline to sell a book. Yeah, a windy uppy headline. Tabloid headline to sell a book. And actually, I think that if you're a top salesperson, you're doing this anyway. 55 ways to stay motivated. If you're a top salesperson. You're motivated anyway. You're motivated. You're doing it. And actually, the other bit I dislike about it is 
You should be doing this in a good market as well as a bad market. Yeah, you should go. Be doing, doing that in a good market is the difference between 150 and 350k. Yeah, just do it. But is any of the stuff in the book wrong? No. Not it's, fine. It's all right. It's just a bit of a sort of, it's all a bit bitty and you, there's nothing that's paradigm changing. It's just a big fat shout reminder to get your shit together and go back to basics, isn't it? It is. And at that, we will wrap up. This will be one single episode of Book Club per month moving forward. All will be shot on location. Uh, are you glad with that, Mike? Yeah. Yeah. I said it with a slight hesitation. The problem is I've got to read the books and some of the books are really bad. Yes. So we will see you next month for Book Club. <laughs>